we really need to learn how to listen better. We really want to talk and tell because <laughs> we um, want to testify and preach. We're certain of our beliefs and that's fine. Um, we can have that um, comfort and, and, and centeredness in our own individual lives, but, but we need to learn how uh, to be curious about other people and to, to wonder what's in their heart. I've started using a phrase, I'd be curious to know. Um, and I, I've, I've, I use that intentionally to provoke curiosity in me and uh, to be able to frame a question that is genuinely curious about another person as opposed to trying to figure out a way to say something that convinces them that they're wrong. Um, I'm really interested in what goes on in other people's lives and hearts. And I can express that by um, asking sincere questions uh, of other people that get to um, what they're truly experiencing or why they said what they did or why something is going on in their life that, that, that I don't know. Um, and I almost always learn when it's a sincere question and I have a relationship that is trusting enough that they will answer it. Every time I have an ostler here in the cultural hall, I always think, you know what? I got to get all the three ostlers, you know, Richard, Papa Osler, David Osler, and Blair Osler, all on the same Zoom call and be able to have that conversation. That's not what this is. Uh, David Osler wrote that book, Bridges, and, uh, well, there's a new chapter that has uh, been added to that. He'll tell you about how you can get that, and uh, I'm just excited to be able to talk about how we can you know, build a bridge with our families who might be uh, considering leaving the church or, you know, having questions about their faith. It's a great episode. Excited to share this here episode of the Cultural Hall. It is time for another episode of the Cultural Hall and excited to welcome back into the Cultural Hall. It's David Osler. Now, if you did not here, David Osler, originally in the Cultural Hall. You have to go back almost 300 episodes to episode number 338. This was August of 2019 when he first graced us here in the Cultural Hall, and I'm excited to have you back. Thanks for being here, David. Hey, it's great to be here, Richie. Now, for a really deep dive into who David is, we're probably not going to do that here. So I do encourage you to do to go and find that. It's uh, episode 338. You can also find it in the show notes and listen and you can and fall in love with David Osler as I did those many episodes ago. Uh, but for people who aren't going to do that, David, tell, tell them who you are and why I would even have you here. Well, uh, I sometimes wonder why you'd have me here, to be honest. I'm just, I think of myself as a regular Joe. I, I live in Northern Virginia. Um, probably why you wanted me on the show and uh, what I most talk about in public is my book called Bridges, Ministering um, to Those Who Question. And I just uh, published a second edition of that that includes a chapter called Ministering in Our Families. So I spend a lot of time thinking about how um, to connect uh, people despite differences of religious or political beliefs. And, and uh, that kind of came out in terms of a book. Well, and I'm excited because it is, or is this technically like a second edition or what do we call it? Do we call this a sequel? <laughs> it's a second edition. So it's basically the same book with an added chapter. We didn't do a lot of revision of the first part. So we've added a chapter. It's, um, like if you have the Kindle version, it'll automatically reload mm. um, and you can get the, the extra chapter if you've already bought the book um, as a download. And we can maybe talk about how to get that. But if you if you buy the book in the future, it'll come uh, complete with that chapter in it. Well, and I think what you've also done, whether uh, knowingly or uh, wantingly or not, is now you have made that first edition that much more valuable. Because once, <laughs> once you once you produce a second edition, man, you have a first edition Osler, and then you put that up on the bookshelf and you tell the grandkids and the great grandkids, don't touch that book. That book will be worth money one day. And I think I signed like three of those, and those certainly now are collector's editions. So, um, you know, make sure you, you you put that in plastic and only uh, touch it with, um, you know, uh, gloves on. Yeah. 
It, well, and and the very careful, very soft looking gloves. I I love that when you see uh, not only in real life but in the movies where they do that very delicately. And and you're, you know, it's funny to me because I think, well, well, what good is a book that you're not looking at or reading, right? Kind of on the one hand, and then on the other hand, I'm like, no, don't even touch it. Why are you touching it? You know, you shouldn't be touching that. That you can read whatever it is online. Don't touch that book right there. Yeah, so we're there now. I, yeah. uh, you know, just kind of feel really privileged and grateful to be in that elite club with the original, uh, you know, Mark Twain or yes. uh, Emily Dickinson or yes. whatever. Original printers, copy of the uh, Book of Mormon. It goes yeah. that book and then, of course, uh, Bridges by David Osler, the first edition. Uh, the first. I, before we get into Ministering in Families, and I think that that is such a needed uh, addition to uh, this book. Tell me a little bit about uh, being in Northern Virginia. In in my mind, in the church, that that lets me know that you've got uh, there's a Richmond Temple that is either being built or is about to be dedicated. He said with a question mark. Yeah, I don't know about all the temples in the area. There's a lot, uh, but the the Washington D.C. Temple has been under renovation, and its um, uh, open house starts here in just a couple of weeks. So um, it's a big deal here. Of course, the Washington D.C. Temple is um, such an iconic temple. It um, uh, takes people's breath away as they're traveling around the Beltway and see it up there on the the hill. And um, and and now the public in the area will be able to to go through the temple before it's dedicated. And we, as members, once it's dedicated, I think it's the the open houses have been extended. So might be early fall before we're back in doing ordinance work. We've been uh, going to the Philadelphia Temple and why, why it has been uh, under renovation. And so the DC Temple will be your temple. Are you mm-hmm. being called uh, called to serve? Sorry, the church bond golf. Jeez. Called to serve as far as the DC open house goes. It seems like it is a tremendous undertaking that would take everybody in the area to be doing some part or portion. Yeah, I think, you know, we as members, it's inviting. I'm not on the temple committee or the open house committee. We have probably eight or 10 stakes that, um, you know, are real close to the temple, including Mm -hmm. ours. So there is a lot of manpower. um, uh, But, you know, all of us as members are, of course, have an opportunity to bring our friends and neighbors and family members that wouldn't normally go into that temple. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure that there's also... Um, VIP work being done just because of uh, the the national presence and also international presence with the uh, embassies and uh, different countries that are involved in the area. I know there were some people that were kind of not coming at the church. I don't think that's the right way to say it, but saying, come on, we've waited so long. It's ready. It's been ready for over a year, but they really did because of the COVID-19 pandemic say, hey, you know what? pause this is going to be a huge opportunity for world leaders to be able to see inside the temple for the people in the in the washington dc and greater washington dc area to be able to come in so they didn't want to just brush that under the rug they wanted to wait and tell what they're waiting for right now and i want to say it's like a five-month open house yeah it's it's long i i'm not sure when it ends but it starts i think in just a couple of weeks so it starts in april for listeners that don't know when this was recorded so yeah uh, and then being able to go and worship in Philadelphia, that's got to be a pretty unique uh, thing, too. That Philadelphia temple, not only gorgeous and unique in its structure and size, but the area and neighborhood around the Philadelphia temple is, is pretty significant. And, you know, we always kind of joke around about that that miracle that the church was able to purchase that land in that part of Philadelphia and, and its uniqueness. What's that been like? You know, it's a beautiful temple. Um, it's right in downtown Philly, and the architecture uh, fits in with the colonial period. Uh, when my wife and I have gone up, we've, um, you know, spent the weekend there. We we love Philadelphia, so we're able to, to go to the temple. And then um, just walking around, there's um, art and museums, and it's just a beautiful area. So um, if if someone is looking for kind of temple tourism, that that is a great one to go to just because of um, wh- where it's located and all the history that happens in Philadelphia. Yeah, a lot of national tourism as well, which I appreciated. All right, David, let's get to it. Ministering to families. You write this book, uh, you know, 
and and you don't include it originally, was it because it was not something that you had experienced or something that you needed? Or why was this not in the first edition and now in this elusive, heightened intensity uh, second edition, do we have this ministering with families? You know, um, when I did my interviews, I uh, for the first edition, I interviewed maybe 50 or so people. I don't know exactly the number, but probably about that. It, it didn't come through as a, a huge theme. Um, in my own family, we do have different beliefs, but they haven't been dissonant. So they haven't um, kind of bubbled up as um, particularly painful. And when I did my interviews, it didn't show there. When I uh, released the book and got feedback from readers, um, a number of readers said, you know, you just didn't include enough about the dynamics in the family. And, and I kind of realized immediately how families are impacted by people who disaffiliate from the church and, you know, how traumatic that is to a marriage um, or in a broader family, um, parents with adult children where some of the adult children disaffiliate, you know, how painful and difficult that is for people. It, it breaks up families. It breaks up relationships. Um, there's people that don't talk um, together because of, of that. Um, there's marriages that end in divorce because people don't know how to navigate uh, through uh, a spouse leaving the church. Um, and so it was clear that even though I included general principles about how to minister to people uh, who um, have a faith crisis or leave the church um, or are you know, questioning their faith entirely, I did not include enough about the dynamics in a marriage and how to respond to that when that happens. I, I guess on a really base level, I would be curious, like what what this really seems to be saying to me on a really like really general level is just like how to talk and love with people whom are different, right? It doesn't even have to be religious. It doesn't have to be beliefs, but but just in general, like, hey, I'm a person who feels or thinks or believes this way. And you are a person who is different, no matter what you and I will be different. Me and this person over here will be different. Just being able to recognize and love differences is, is sort of an overarching theme throughout it. Even if we took out everything religious, you know, that's pretty right. And, um, it's something that I've been a little slow to come to. So I appreciate that, um, you know, you've been able to get to it faster than me. Um, <laughs> we've, there's just, a ton of division in um, the world and in particular in the United States. It's, uh, it's manifest uh, politically, it's manifest about uh, COVID, it's manifest about religion. Um, you know, Black Lives Matter has been divisive in some ways and uniting in others. And, and we find that there's just a whole range of issues that we just don't know how to talk about with other with people that think differently. And if, if we do talk about it, we often end up in a yelling match or, you know, breaking relationships or saying things that we're, we're sad about later. Um, or the alternative is that we just don't talk about it. And so underlying, you know, there's these tensions, but we just all agree to avoid them in the name of, you know, a happy Thanksgiving dinner. And um, some of these issues are really important. Um, you know, uh, faith really is important to me and it is to many other people and how we perceive our community is really important to me and, and to other, uh, people and what the priorities we want our communities to look like. And we've just got to develop skills to be able to have conversations with each other. And, and, um, you know, this, this book, it just kind of touches on that in, in context of religion, but it's, uh, certainly applicable in a whole other range of areas. I want to talk about some of the skills and, and maybe even get into one or two of them um, so that as people uh, exit this time that they spend with the two of us being able to be like, oh yeah, you know what, that is a thing that I that I could probably do better or that is a thing that I should consider doing, you know, maybe I'm not even doing that at all. Uh, but before we do all that, what do you think the danger is in just avoiding it as members of the church, you know, contention is of the devil, David. And so if we, you know, if we have those combative points of view or don't agree or, or, you know, heaven forbid, we recognize that there are differences, 
in some ways, I think we misinterpret that contention is of the devil. And so we just, we swallow it and it's there, it's present, it's right on the surface, ready to erupt, but we don't address it. Yeah, so it doesn't ever say in the scriptures that I'm aware that uh, difference is of the devil. So, or differing opinions is of the devil. Um, uh, in, in fact, we are counseled together to bring all voices together so that we can be edified. Um, and that means that um, people's lived experiences and beliefs, if brought together in the right way, can in fact uh, advance discussion and receive revelation and inspiration. So um, I think uh, the key is to develop skills to be able to communicate um, uh, not only what I think, uh, which might be different, but also allow you to be able to communicate what you think might be different. Um, and for me to be open and curious as to what you are saying to allow you um, the credibility that can uh, convey what they, they, they feel and allow me to be humble enough to listen to points that I may not understand. Have you ever been a part of a uh, Sunday school class, for example, where like it's just super surface and you don't think you're getting deep at all? Have you ever been in one of those Sunday school classes? Well, it sounds like you have. I know I have. Um, and, you know, you just kind of uh, paper over it. And, uh, you know, we're right now studying the Old Testament and doggone it, there's some highly dysfunctional families that we've been studying. <laughs> you know, they, it's murder, it's rape, it's theft, yeah. it's, uh, you know, all of the great crimes. And, um, and we, we, I'm not saying that we need to talk about that in Sunday school, but these are kind of dynamics that um, families that are struggling for belief and, and faith are, are faced with. And um, it, it would be fun to, to kind of get a little deeper sometimes than what we, we say. Um, I served a mission in Africa, as you may know, and, and our missionaries in that mission, um, we, we taught in a very basic way. And, and that's fine when we teach uh, people that are newly encountering the church, but but I think some people hunger for a deeper, more um, thorough uh, and engaged discussions of the complexities of, of faith and scripture and God's hand in our lives. And um, uh, we have to be able to, 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 to find the skills to be able to, to have that conversation and not just to, to gloss over and go back to that 12-year-old discussion. I hope that it doesn't say too much of me as a person, but when I when I'm in those classes and I feel like everyone has way more to say than they're actually saying about the particular topic, but because maybe someone might disagree with what they're saying or, you know, whatever the thing is, we kind of keep it nice and middle of the road. Like I, I come out of those classes or even those conversations. And I just think oh, that's a waste of time. I don't want to do that again. And it's, and it's, and it's hard. It's tricky because I'm not saying I'm going to leave the church or not go to Sunday school or any of those things, but uh, it is just this yearning of something where it's like, guys, what are we doing here? Why are we why why are we here if we're not going to talk about the things that really matter to us, that touch us deep in our hearts, that are affecting us on the day to day? Why are we all coming and you know putting on the face of everything's fine, just fine? and not having these more serious conversations. Cause I'm not alone. Other people feel not exactly the same as I do, but struggle similarly or struggle differently. And I can learn from their struggles. And yet it feels like in, in some words, in some congregations that I've been to, and even just some friendships I have where it just comes across as like, no, everything's fine. Just fine. And I go, uh, okay, I, I'm not interested in this. And, you know, we've both been in situations where that hasn't been the case, right? And where mm -hmm. there has been um, uh, deep discussion. It often gets uh, personal and vulnerable. We often get into uh, kind of the complexities of an individual's life. And uh, we see things differently when that happens. And I'm, I'm grateful when that happens. If it happened more, I'd be even, you know, more pleased. Um, I have... Um, I, I less talk now um, in those meetings than I used to. I, I um, maybe it's I'm getting older, um, but but I um, have really enjoyed um, in those settings to to kind of look at people and really wonder and be curious about 
why it is that they're saying what they're saying and maybe not saying what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to try and kind of pierce the veneer and pierce the surfacey kind of comment or, or whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, I've enjoyed doing that. That doesn't work all the time for me. Sometimes I really want to get into the meat. Um, but, but, but I've also been able to suspend just kind of wanting to wrestle the microphone away and say something really that I think is important and instead, you know, be open to uh, any sort of limited uh, vulnerability or insight that others are, are giving. I don't say that because I'm wise, but I'm just really trying to do that and, and to be able to, to listen more. I want to take a break real quick. When we come back in the second block, I want to talk about uh, a principle or two about how we might better minister to our families. We'll come back and do that in the second block of the Cultural Hall. I uh, want to give a shout out right now. Uh, Megan, that is uh, listener Megan. I'm not sure if she's a lifer or a convert here at the Cultural Hall, uh, but she heard me talk about how I do uh, podcast consulting and said, you know what? There's a thing, a, a thing that's been burning inside of me, and I want to be able to share and do this podcast. So she reached out to me and said, hey, what about this? And we're right smack in the middle of that class as I record this. And uh, it's fun to hear her start to do interviews and be able to receive that coaching and me be able to walk alongside her and say, yes, this is great. I love what you're doing here. Oh, you may want to think about doing this a little bit differently and uh, just being able to, to help and nurture and be able to share the things that she feels like she's, you know, truly God called to share. So if you've got something burning inside you, you're thinking, you know what, I've, I've thought about doing a podcast, but is it that easy? Uh, you can reach out to me. I'm Richie T. Stedman on all the social medias, or you can just drop into the DMs for the cultural hall. I answer those too. Uh, would love to hear from you and work with you uh, as you work on your newest, latest, and greatest project. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, remember you can become a Patreon saint of the Cultural Hall. You can go to patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall where you get to be a part of that secret but not sacred facebook group uh you also get to be among almost 100 other individuals who love this show like you do and you know the old phrase putting your money where your mouth is that's what you do when you become a patreon saint you say i love the cultural hall they've been around for almost 600 episodes and I've never, I've never pledged any money to him. You can do it. Patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. David, when we talk about uh, our families, these are the most precious in, in, I would say nearly all cases, maybe not all cases, but nearly all, uh, these are the most precious people, um, that we would minister to, that we would have these, these meaningful discussions with this outreach. And yet some of us don't tread those waters to try and minister to family. Why do you think that is? I think it's hard. Uh, you know, I think it's, um, it's a lot easier to just kind of skate along the surface. And, and we're talking about kind of general difference here. I think a faith crisis is, is an event we have to deal with. But, you know, generally we just kind of skate along and want to make sure that things are okay. Um, and so, um, and we know that sometimes when we've tried to to kind of go below the surface that hasn't worked out real well. And there's been misunderstanding and hurt feelings. And so we, we don't want to go there. Um, and so I think it's kind of natural. I think it's just work. Mm. Um, and it's, it's, you know, work is effort and work at times is painful and work stretches us and, and, um, and puts us sometimes at risk. So I, I, I think there's those reasons it's, it's safety, it's fear, it's lack of skill. And I think we also go, oh, you know, if I say something and I may, and I say the wrong thing, boy, that'll make it worse. And so we lead ourselves into this false idea of, you know, that, that not saying anything is actually a good thing because, 
You know, you're not making that individual go further from the church or have further disagreement. And I just don't think that I, 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 like I say, I think that's just a fallacy. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's a good insight. I think um, it, we're always maybe looking for a perfect time and that never comes. And so we never say anything. And so I, I think that's part of it too. So if we have that family member who, you know, we can we can count it as a faith crisis, or we can just say who whose faith is waning, struggling, uh, questioning. We can couch it in any of those. What? How do you say we should do this? Or maybe put another way, what shouldn't we be doing at this moment? So um, I think relationships are built on certain principles, and um, uh, there's a, a marriage researcher named. Uh, Gottman, um, who's kind of famous in here, and he's actually has a marriage lab, and he he actually hooks couples up to to you know devices to measure levels of stress. He videotapes them, he gives them scripts, and sees how they navigate that. and And he thinks that there's um, some key principles that build strong marriages, and they're clearly applicable in our other settings. And one is. Um, that there has to be true trust um, that um, uh, in the other person and in that relationship. So we, we have to um, communicate in a way that is trusting. In other words, I value what you think, even though you think differently than me. I trust that you have arrived at some conclusion through um, a good process, a logical process, a sincere process. And that's something that's really important. Um, uh, and the opposite of trust is betrayal. Mm -hmm. So um, I um, I take what you've told me and I tell other people. I um, uh, uh, take your words and try and turn them against you. Uh, those are kind of the opposite. So, you know, trusting is important. The second one is being loyal um, and being protective of that other person. And sometimes we can violate that by using negative words towards that person and calling them an apostate or someone who's fallen or someone who has been deceived or um, we use negative terms towards them that show that we're really not loyal to them in that relationship. Um, and we can show loyalty and we can show trust in, in positive ways. We can um, say, I love you. We can give hugs. We can say, how can I help? We can say, it, um, you're still my, my, my brother. You're, I still love you. Um, and, and those are ways to, to kind of express things in different uh, terms. Um, there's a key principle, and I'm not going to go through all of them. That there's a key mm -hmm. principle that talks about the ratio of positivity to negativity interactions. And an interaction is any sort of way in which we're conveying either through words or through expressions, how we feel about them. And so we can have conflict and have positive um, interactions with them, even though we disagree with them. It, it shows on our faces. It shows on the, the, the words we use to respond. And so if someone says, I've, I've left the church, what do we do? Do we, do we say, oh, I, I, I'm, I'm so sad for you? That's a negative interaction. Uh, mm -hmm. A positive interaction is, um, tell me more. Um, a positive interaction is, was that hard for you? Positive interaction is a hug. A positive interaction is, um, you know, expressing some sort of affirming uh, note that allows them to feel like you're interested in them and that that relationship isn't going to change. And Gottman says that if that positivity to negative ratio is lower than five positives for every one negative, that relationship is in trouble. And in marriages, it's highly predictive of whether there's a divorce within 10 years. Hmm. So I've always, so for me, I look now very much at that positivity ratio about what, how do I send positive messages to someone who I might have disagreements with uh, or might have, you know, aspects where um, I don't align with them. So, Oh, go ahead. Uh, so I think we have to figure out how to translate that into our own individual setting. If we're a parent and it's an adult child who's after, you know, a period of great activity comes to us and says, you know, I'm resigning from the church. 
you know, how do we not take that as a stab in the heart and be negative um, and say, oh, you're throwing it all away. Well, that's a negative comment. Mm -hmm. Or, um, you know, oh man, this, you know, we, we're not going to be able to, to do this together as a family. That's a negative comment. Um, and we have to find positive ways to, to both process that person leaving and then also to build our relationship on. I think the difficulty that comes with uh, members of the church and speaking specifically on this, like I'm, I'm leaving the faith or questioning the faith is that we don't know what to say in a way that feels uh, loving and loyal without feeling like we have to either condone or condemn. You know what I'm saying? We we feel like we have to be like, I need you to know that I love you, but also this is a really bad idea. And, and so how could, how can we do that in a better way? Well, um, so sometimes we do feel like we have to stand up and defend the church on that, you know, mm -hmm. but there's, an awful lot of people, maybe seven or 8 billion people in the world that don't agree with my religious out, you know, views. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and we still love our neighbor that lives next to us. That's not a member of the church. It, why is that easier for us than, um, loving, uh, a member of our family that used to be a member of the church or doesn't affiliate anymore. They clearly know how we think they, they've been around us long enough to know that we are believers. Um, so it's not like we need to tell them that we believe and bear our testimonies to them. Um, but, but they are concerned about whether their disbelief affects their relationship with us and whether they'll still be able to have ways to, to interact with us. Um, and so probably the best thing that we can do is find other ways to build commonality with us um, and find other mechanisms to connect uh, with that person. Here, here's a story that I tell in this chapter, and I think it's a good one. Um, it's a woman about my age, so she's in her 60s. She has four adult children. Three have left the church. One is kind of far Eastern in terms of thought, uh, so more of a Buddhist tradition. It's not a belief. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, it's not a church that he belongs to. But at Thanksgiving dinner, how do they handle family uh, prayer over the meal, right? There's there's a wide range of beliefs around the table. And what they do is they take turns um, expressing uh, in the tradition of that child or that family member, how they would like to um, invoke um, belief before they start. Hmm. And so they asked their Buddhist son if he would say something. And uh, he gave a lovely, it wasn't a prayer. He doesn't pray to anyone but it was a lovely statement that reflected the goodness of drawing together as a family around that table, uh, a reflection of their privilege to be able to have food, um, grace that they would be able to have positive and interactive relationships over the meal. And what that parent did was really gave space for that person to be able to participate with sincere beliefs around the dinner table. Now, I don't know if secretly they went and had an LDS prayer in the back you know, room <laughs> so that the meal would be blessed in a traditional way. But, but that message to that son was, you belong. I trust you. I'm loyal to you. I'll be positive with you in your differences. And um, he, you know, he's in his 30s or 40s. He knows what they believe. He, he's been through enough traditional LDS prayers that, that he, he, he doesn't need to be taught anything there. Um, so I found that as a beautiful moment, and it was a way to, to connect and, and share, and, and they learned something about what was in his heart and the way he sees the world through that process. Do you think there's a degree of, of difficulty that is intensified when it's your, your spouse, your partner, as opposed to family? Yeah, so um, uh, it can come across as a complete betrayal. So, um, you know, I covenanted with you in the temple. We looked across the altar. We saw ourselves in the, the mirrors that uh, go on into infinity. And now you're coming to me and saying, you, you don't believe um, uh, in, in the teachings of the church, which means you don't believe in that, the power of the priesthood, uh, which means you don't believe that um, in, in the sealing ordinance. And um, so it feels like um, a complete betrayal. And 
when that is a sudden uh, change of faith, let's say it's not something that happens over the course of five to 10 years, but mm-hmm. a spouse comes and they've, they've been thought of as being fully believing and they come and they say, you know, honey, you're dear, I, I don't believe anymore. Um, that, that marriage is in trouble. Um, and um, many marriages, um, uh, you know, with that end up um, breaking up or substantially changing. But that's not always the case. Uh, and there are marriages that come through that kind of crucible of, 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 of challenge in, a, in, you know, even being stronger. I've interviewed people who feel like their marriage is stronger, not because the person had a faith crisis, but because they dealt with the issues that that raised um, in an intense way that enriched their marriage in a lot of ways. What do you think that they do differently? Those whose marriages uh, are able to make it through and, and you say subsequently stronger because of those things compared to those families or those relationships where the the person says, hey, you know what, I'm not believing anymore. And then they end in separation or divorce. What are the differences between those that make it? They find place in their hearts to deal with someone who believes differently. And um, they don't let the difference define their relationship. What do you mean by that? They don't say, because you're a non-believer, um, I, you know, that is the, the major aspect of my relationship with you. Um, if the only reason they got married was because their spouse or their fiance was, was a believer, then they have nothing in common. But that doesn't happen. Um, they have other things in common. And they have um, potentially ways to find additional things in common that unite them um, in their marriage, even though their religious beliefs might be um, completely different. So they have to go through the process of building that uh, foundation in their marriage where they hold um, uh, you know, place for that difference um, in their, their relationship. They have to trust, they have to be loyal, they have to have an equal balance of power. That's another Gottman principle. And, and they have to find ways to, to have positivity uh, um, uh, five to one or better than their negativity because of these kinds of issues. I don't know if you've ever had a conversation with anyone. I assume that you probably have where they have said something like, oh, I don't know what I would do if my spouse left the church, uh, essentially signifying that the church, this belief in having an eternal family and an eternal companion is, is sort of that top thing. Obviously they have other things in common, other things of, of love around their companion, but that they, that was the goal to be married in the temple, to be sealed, you know, for time and eternity. And they express as much to say, yeah, I don't know what I would do if this person left the church. And and whenever I engage in those kind of conversations, I'm always like, yeah, but I don't think you really know what you would do until you're in the actual moment of it. Have you ever talked to anyone like that? And what what's your sort of immediate response when you meet those individuals? I When it's um, a sudden shift in faith, like, you know, one day they appear to be believing and they're doing all the right things as we think. Um, and then the next day they come and they say, I don't believe, or I don't know what I believe. And I'm not sure I can stay in the church. That's a trauma. Mm-hmm. You know, that is there. I think that's the right word to use there. Um, no one um, uh, says, okay, we'll just pull out the playbook, you know, that, that I know exactly how to do here. And this will all be fine. They're all um, uh, headed into a, a period of time that is, that is difficult. The, the believing spouse um, says, well, what else are you going to change? Are you going to start to drink? Are you going to start to, to um, you know, date other people? Um, can I assume that you'll be faithful and fidelity in the marriage? Um, will you leave me? Uh, will you respect me if I stay? There's going to be all sorts of questions on the part of the believing member, in addition to the trauma of, I'm not sure we're going to be married for eternity. You know, I'm not sure that my spouse is going to be there with me if I live according to my covenants. And then the non-believing spouse is going to have the same set of, of issues. There's a certain amount of trauma just coming to um, uh, someone who s- goes through a faith crisis. It's, it's called a crisis for many reasons. And for some people, it truly is traumatic. It's, 
everything I've thought I've known is true, I now no longer believe. So there's trauma to them too. And then they're, um, they're worried about how their, their spouse is going to feel about that. They probably have thought about it for a long time before they've even mentioned it to their spouse. So there's all sorts of difficult challenges in those early days. And I think many marriages that come out on the other end of it in, in positive ways say that it takes months and you know some might even be years um, before they come out on the other end. There's a lot of questions to ask. What, what are we going to do about the kids? Mm-hmm. Are we going to raise them LDS or are we not going to raise them LDS? What are you going to do about your behavior? Uh, are you going to start having coffee in the house or you know, alcohol in the house? So there's, you know, how do we talk to my parents about it? Um, there's all sorts of challenges. And as I've talked to counselors, I'm not a counselor, so I talk to them. They say that you have to be flexible and you're going to have to learn how to communicate in a way um, that's going to be able to navigate these issues. And if you go into a marriage with rigidity and without those communication skills, the work required is even going to be higher. Well, and I think about some of those questions that you were asking, you know, that you're positing that you would ask a, a partner that might be leaving the church and how could those could be very triggering uh, to the person who's leaving, for example. Well, what are you going to, uh, you, you know, that attitude of what are you going to start drinking now? And and to that person that is leaving, it's not that they're looking for, you know, some sort of rumspringa to be able to do whatever they want. And, and you know, all these things, they're just this particular faith piece, this, you know, belief in the restored gospel, the whatever that piece is that they're either in crisis or that they're leaving, that's the piece. But yet, sometimes when we think in that kind of all-or-nothing mentality, we think, oh, so you're not going to church anymore? So what? Is it immodest, you know, immodesty in everything that you do? Are you drinking and smoking and gambling? And, you know, is it just all bets are off? And in most of those cases, although I can think of maybe somewhere this would be more true, but in a lot of cases, I think that people are just like, no, this, this, the, these things, these tenets of the gospel, I no longer believe in them. And I'm going to to leave them behind, not all of those other things driving them to want to leave those things behind. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, the case in, in many of these. And, um, uh, you know, there's um, it's difficult to separate um, mm-hmm. our religious beliefs um, from our identity. Um, uh, but many of the people that I've interviewed that um, have left the church um, retain uh, core values of morality and decency. Um, they're devoted to their families. Uh, they, they want to, um, in many circumstances, stay within their marriage. Um, but they have challenges too. One of the challenges that the departing spouse or the, the, the spouse who's departing from the church has is if they've gone through a faith crisis, they're still um, evaluating what they believe. And and, and they may um, get triggered and have outrage when there's an announcement about like the church's wealth or when there's a general conference and there's a talk that, you know, hits on an issue that has been really important to them. And now they see completely differently. And so they may go to their leading spouse and say, you got to listen to this podcast. And, mm-hmm. you know, oh, I just hated that talk. And, and all of those are kind of negativity issues. Mm-hmm. And so they have to figure out how to allow the 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 decon the faith the the spouse that has deconstructed their faith to process that in a way that doesn't um, create negativity in the marriage. And Gottman talks about a balance of power. Um, if one spouse has more power than the other, then it's really difficult. And so there kind of has to be an agreement between the spouses that they won't proselytize each other. Yeah. And that one spouse won't say, well, you know, I I, I want you to come back to church just for, you know, a, a year, you know, just do it. If you do it, you know, and the other spouse says, you know, you just need to listen to these sets of podcasts or, or read these letters or whatever. And, and you'll see how wrong you are. Mm-hmm. You see how wrong you are. Those are negative words. Those are, uh, you know, not trusting words and the like. And so each of the spouses is going to have their own set of dynamics and, you know, the, the, the chapter kind of describes some of those dynamics in a number of marriages and, and how they navigate them. And, 
you know, individuals will come up with their own patterns, but they need patterns on this. Yeah, it probably goes without saying, but uh, that's what I love asking questions about. The goes without saying the obvious question uh, when people find themselves in a relationship and one person is questioning their faith, crisising their faith, leaving their faith. Um, it would be your recommendation, I would imagine, to have that relationship go to counseling. Yeah, um, I think many times it requires counseling, else it, it might not work. And and often, um, you, you know, counseling is just helpful even in a good marriage, right? Mm-hmm. So um, it there shouldn't be uh, kind of a stigma there to 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 say only in a faith crisis do you want to do that. Uh, but you need insights into this. There are some support groups for mixed faith couples that um, you know you could find. There's also some therapists who specialize in this area. Um, there has to be, if, if one is choosing a therapist, their approach has to be to support the couple in their mixed faith orientation. It can't be uh, to help um, bring the departing spouse back into the church. Mm-hmm. So they have to focus in on the marriage and the fundamentals in the marriage. And, and the religious issues here are really secondary if you're trying to rebuild a marriage um, in faith difference. Um, and so they will focus in on communication skills. They'll focus in on um, uh, uh, simple tools to allow them to process uh, this changing faith. Uh, there's one couple I interview, and and um, the husband left, and, and and one day he just took off his garments and stopped wearing them. And even though the wife knew that he no longer believed in the temple, uh, that was really difficult for her and felt like a complete betrayal. And they've talked about that. I don't know if they used a counselor, but now they have a six-month rule, for example. And each of them will um, uh, announce to the partner their individual religious decisions that impact the family mm-hmm. and let that set for six months before they implement it. Mm-hmm. So it would be, I'm going to start drinking alcohol, but I won't do that for six months. And it allows the spouse to kind of process that. It allows the spouse that wants to drink alcohol to, to be independent and make choices for them, but it allows them time to process that. What will we say to the kids? What will we um, you know, how will we have liquor in the house? Um, uh, you know, those kinds of things. And it allows um, the independent decisions to happen, but allows there to be time to process it. So they're not springing things on the other. And the believing spouse says, you know, if I get a, a calling to be a temple worker that has an impact on my family, um, I'll say, yes, I'll accept that calling, but it'll be six months before I do to allow the family to prepare itself for an important decision that impacts it based on her religious beliefs. Hmm. So there's kind of an honoring of each other there, but they put together a structure that uh, allows them to process changes in their lives in a way that allows each other to, to, to be prepared. I like that. And maybe a great tactic for um, some individuals who are listening to maybe six months isn't their sweet spot. Maybe it's three months, maybe it's nine months, but to give them that grace, that understanding, that time to be able to process a thing that's going on uh, with themselves or with the other individual in their relationship and be able to, to talk about it, have that time before it's implemented. Uh, I want to take another break. And when we come back in the third block, there are three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. I've got another question that I want to uh, hit you up with, but I'm not telling you what that is till we come back in the Uh-oh. third block of the cultural hall. BestDJinUtah.com. Won't you please go? That is if you are in the market for a DJ. Now, I haven't done a new one of these ads for a little bit, and I have to tell you it's been pretty cool. I've been able to do some events for some lifers or converts here in the cultural hall. I got to do a wedding back in, what was that, February now? Is that what? Man, this year is flying by. Anyway... If you'd like to uh, be able to party with me, that's some offer. You can go to bestdjinutah.com. We talk about how me being able to be at your event, playing music, coordinating things, keeping an eye on the clock, all of this stuff might make your event go better. I do a lot of weddings, but I can also do birthday parties. We can just hang out and listen to music if you want as well. Uh, but you can't do any of it if you don't hop online and go to Best 
djinutah.com. There's a form there that lets me know a little bit more about your event. And then who knows? Who knows? We could be partying together very soon. Go to bestdjinutah.com. Hey, friends. Dan the Laptop Man from PC Laptops. As you know, there's been a huge video card shortage for computers. We have tons of NVIDIA and AMD video cards right now available with complete systems. Check us out right now at PCLaptops.com. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, I know that you love this episode. You know that you love this episode, but why not tell the world that you love this episode? Uh, Wherever you get this episode of the Cultural Hall, take a moment, won't you? In fact, I ask you, won't you take a moment and, uh, and leave a review? Some places you can just do star reviews or like, hey, I like this thumbs up. Other places you can give actual written word as to why you love that David Osler came back into the cultural hall and what that meant for you and how that changed your life and what the cultural hall means for you. Uh, would love for you to take just a couple minutes. You got a couple minutes. Come on. Uh, wherever you're getting this episode of the cultural hall, leave that review. David, uh, the book. When we're building bridges, when we're ministering to those who question, this is very much on an individual basis, meaning, you know, I'm I'm thinking about how I might minister to my neighbor who is questioning or someone in my family or my partner or things like that. Can this be extrapolated out as to we how we as the church, and I am air quoting or collectively gathering the church, can can the church again uh be um be educated in the principles that you're teaching within this book so that we might better minister to those who are leaving the flock. You know, what's, what's interesting is these skills that families have to have when they have difference uh, are the same skills that make congregations great. Um, They're the skills that allow someone in a gospel doctrine class to ask a question that might be a difficult question and, and not get jumped all over, not um, get, betrayed, not um, get shamed, uh, but get respected and, and us being loyal to them. Um, it, it allows us to be able to listen to voices that sometimes um, are on the margins um, or um, are, are different than kind of the mainstream um, people that are in the congregation. So I think of, uh, of uh, people that have been through divorce, people who've had mental illness, uh, people uh, of a different race or ethnicity, people who have uh, uh, find themselves um, in, in different life stages, and um, honoring and 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 engaging with people who have differences, um, I think, actually, is one of the great blessings of being in a congregation. We're not all the same. Um, but we can be with people who are different and and can have common interests in becoming better people and developing ourselves spiritually. What do you think we can do? One of the things that I've noticed uh, kind of on this end of the pandemic is congregations are smaller and communities are that much more disconnected with one another. What can we do to, I guess, more proactively build these bridges? These are not you know, people that are in our family, these are just people that maybe we didn't even altogether know that well, or maybe haven't known at all. We get in a particular calling, we are in a community that we just care about and care about these individuals. For those where the relationship isn't as close, but we know that there's a benefit to that bridge to those individuals, how can we engage in in those sort of situations? So I think... um there's two things I'll say. One is you have to earn your way in. Um, you know, these, these folks, um, whether they're questioning their faith or, or, or on the margins, I'm not sure I, you know, maybe that's a bad term, mm-hmm. um, but, but they are always wondering whether they are going to be accepted. And so they're looking around saying, is that person going to accept me? Is this person going to accept me? And they can evaluate the safeness of interacting with other people um, because history would show that they get hurt when they don't do that right. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to be guarded and they're going to be quiet. And so they will watch you. So if you, in your behavior with people, um, show yourself to be trustworthy, uh, non-judgmental, don't use labels, don't vilify, don't... um, push away, 
Um, but um, ask questions, be curious about other people's experiences, um, uh, be aware of the challenges that other people feel, um, be aware of the complexities that are there, then um, you can earn your way into that trusted relationship with someone on the side. So, so that would be the first thing. The second is we really need to learn how to listen better. Um, we really want to talk and tell because <laughs> we um, want to testify and preach for certain of our beliefs. And that's fine. Um, we can have that um, comfort and, and, and centeredness in our own individual lives, but, but we need to learn how uh, to be curious about other people and to, to wonder what's in their heart. I've started using a phrase, I'd be curious to know. Um, and I, I've, I've, I use that intentionally to provoke curiosity in me and uh, to be able to frame a question that is genuinely curious about another person, as opposed to trying to figure out a way to say something that convinces them that they're wrong. Um, I'm really interested in what goes on in other people's lives and hearts. And I can express that by um, asking sincere questions uh, of other people that get to um, what they're truly experiencing or why they said what they did or why something is going on in their life that, that, that I don't know. Um, and I almost always learn when it's a sincere question and I have a relationship that is trusting enough that they will answer it. Well said. There are three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall, and I will ask those of you now. Do you remember these, David, from when I we talked before? That's all right. That's all right. I got you. The first question is, is I would be curious. Ah, well done. Ah, well done. To know uh, if you have a calling and if so, what is it? So I assist my wife in primary. How do you love that? Well, it's, it's, uh, it's fun. She teaches the eight-year-olds. And uh, she's determined to have every lesson be um, uh, how to show more love. So whatever the concept, whatever story, you know, is in Come Follow Me for that week, it's, you know, where does this show love? And um, some of the lessons are harder than others, but, sure. but they're beautiful. Um, and the kids really enjoy going down that road. If you could pick a calling for yourself. Uh, whether that be one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? You know, I, I think I would um, uh, uh, want to be like a stake specialist on, um, on faith. Hmm. Um, I, I would want to, to uh, be a resource to, to leaders as they have interactions with people um, where, where people are questioning or wondering whether they can belong. Um, and, and that happens, um, you know, a lot in stakes. And um, so I, I would want to have those kinds of interactions. I like that's it. A, and it's that's got, a made up. That, well, it's a great sound of it too, though. A stake faith specialist. Yes, please. David Osler, heretofore called. The last question that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall, I ask you to interpret it however you may, but the question remains, what is your favorite part of your faith? Um, my favorite part of my faith is um, the unique aspect of um, the restored church is that God's love is spread over everybody. Um, I've been fortunate in my life. I've, I've lived in Japan, India, Africa, uh, the United Kingdom, uh, different parts of the United States. Um, and I've seen um, really diverse cultures. I've done business in China, uh, the Arab Mideast, um, Europe, um, and there is goodness everywhere. And I love in the restored uh, gospel of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that God's love is uh, and will be felt everywhere. It's not that um, I am special because I am in the church um, and someone is not special because they're not in the church. Um, 
God's love is universal to all of his children. And um, I, I know there's some other faiths that believe that, but that's kind of built into the fabric of who we are as a church. And uh, I, I love that part of it. It's, there's a universalness to the church um, and an expansiveness um, that, that I find really quite profound in, spart- in spite of our small size. I appreciate your words and your time uh, being able to visit with you. Uh, the name of the book is Bridges, Ministering to Those Who Question. Now in its second edition, go to the bookstores and the thrift stores and find yourself that first edition. Maybe you'll find one of three copies that was signed by David Osler, and it's worth in the tens of dollars. In the tens of dollars, you could get that book and make sure you hang on to it for a good long time as it makes its way into the hundreds and thousands. Certainly, uh, the information that's shared within uh, is just invaluable as far as its price, its cost, as well as uh, the time that you put into it to be able to share it with us. David, I hope that this episode... Oh, you got something? Yeah. So for people who want to just download this chapter... Uh-huh. Um, they can go to a website and it's uh, they just have to put in their email address and the PDF will be emailed to them. It's bridgeslds.com and they can just download that family chapter. And, um, uh, you know, if they already have the first edition or just want to read it. Okay. We'll put that link in the show notes for people to be able to get that. It's bridgeslds.com and uh, you get uh, you, you get that chapter. That's awesome. And you know what? You should buy the book. If you're going to get the chapter for free, buy the book for crying out loud. Uh, it, it, it's uh, great to be able to spend time with you, David. I hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy, healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week. And then when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Debbie Wanless, Rick McGee, Brother Brent, Chocolate Cake Bites podcast and Miracles, I told you so, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the cultural hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat on the back row.